0: This is the first session, the first Dharma talk of this online meditation retreat for the end of the year 2022. So during this time, may you be sincere in practicing in praise of the Triple Gem, offering and in respect to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And something that's very important is our taking up and keeping sila. So taking these five precepts, eight precepts, as we did just now, and the number of those precepts depending upon the energy that we have. And so may these precepts that you take, may they be strong, may they be firm. And these are the basis for the arising of all dhammas. Because people who don't have virtue, they have an excessive degree of self. And this gives rise to discomfort and conflict uh, between themselves and others. It gives rise to internal heat and disturbance. But when we take up these precepts, then they become a firm foundation for us so that we can experience peace. And so we maintain peace in our actions, of body and speech, making sure that our speech is correct, that our acts, our deeds are correct, our form of livelihood is correct. And this brings a lot of benefit. But even though we keep these precepts, there is still these... All this thinking in the mind, all this proliferation. And to solve that, we need to meditate. And so we need to have sati, this mindfulness or recollection. So we have right mindfulness, we also have right view as well. And really, all of us here have right view. We have this belief that if we do good things, then we'll receive good results. If we do bad things, then we'll get bad results. We have this belief in the law of karma, a belief in rebirth, in this cycle of being born and then dying and then being born again, and being born into different realms, different lives, that we have this human world, and there's also the heaven worlds and the Brahma worlds, and then the animal and the hungry ghosts and the hell worlds, that these all exist. And when all of these exists, then Nibbāna exists too. So in order to genuinely meet with and attain to Nibbāna, one needs to be at the level of an arahant. And perhaps not all of us are going to get there now, but we still practice to have this right view, and this um, gives rise to a lot of benefit. That when we have this, then our understanding in life grows. And we can ask ourselves, well, why were we born? And what are we going to do with this life? Where are we going to? And if we don't know the answer to those questions, then avidya ignorance, will always be taking control over our hearts. And this has happened for many, many lives already. This is what's taken us to be born so many times. Is this ignorance, this craving and clinging that's dragged us around in the cycle of rebirth, taking us to do some good deeds and then other times bad deeds, this meritorious and demeritorious acts. But whatever we've done in the past. This life right now, we have this very good opportunity of being born as a human. We see that in the world there are lots of people, there's over six million of us now. But for those who are interested in the Dhamma, who have some kind of understanding in the Dhamma, who have a wish to practice the Dhamma, to walk along this noble eightfold path, They're very hard to find. So the Buddha taught uh, that for those people who walk and practice along this path of sila, samadhi and panya, of virtue, collectedness and wisdom, then they will know the Dhamma and see the Dhamma. But he also said that outside of this, outside of this noble path, then there is no one who knows the Dhamma, who sees the Dhamma in the same way that there are no footprints in the sky. So too, outside of the noble path, there's no one who is freed from suffering and who sees the Dhamma. But for us, we've entered upon this noble path now of sila, samadhi and panya. We have this right view, and this is something that's very important. Because when our views are correct, then our intentions will be correct as well or have this intent to keep the five precepts or the eight precepts, and so our speech and actions, our livelihood will be correct. Then our recollection and our samadhi is correct. So all of these factors are correct. And we just carry on developing that until we understand into the Dhamma. So really, for all of us right now, we have this Dhamma, these qualities of... physicality, and these qualities of mentality, but what our mind does is it attaches to all of that as being me, and this occurs so quickly. Just when our eyes see something, then the self arises right there, me and you comes up right there. When we hear something, when we smell something, touch something, taste something, then There are these skillful or unskillful qualities that arise, wholesome, unwholesome, that come up. And so we need to set ourselves on this practice and try to develop these skillful or wholesome qualities. But is there a self there that's doing that? Well, if we're going to talk about the really deep dhamma, then it's just dhamma. But perhaps we're not at that level yet. Perhaps we still have a self, so we take that self to be a good self, to be a virtuous self. We take this me, this I, to develop goodness and to give rise to merit, to be generous and sacrificing, to come together uh, and practice in these meditation retreats, to be intent on listening to the Dhamma, to maybe help organize some retreats, And so we may express our thanks towards those who have helped to organize this. And that is an act of kindness and compassion towards one another. So These Brahma-viharas, these divine abidings, are very important. And they are metta, this loving-kindness, and then karuna, compassion, mudita, this sympathetic joy, and upekka, equanimity. So usually we talk about kindness and compassion. There's this mudita as well, this rejoicing in the goodness of others. So like we can find joy in the monastics and in their intent to practice the Dhamma. So may all of you use this time in a way that gives rise to benefit for your hearts making your minds good. And when the mind is good, then the people around you will benefit from this as well. They'll also experience some of that coolness. So when we come together to practice, then we should try to speak less than what we normally do. If normally we sleep for seven or eight hours per night, then we should reduce that in order to practice the Dhamma. Perhaps before we ate a lot, but now we keep the eight precepts. So maybe we just eat once or twice before midday. But we should also make sure that we're not eating too much during those meals. Because if we do, then drowsiness will arise. So eating too much is incorrect. And what we should experience is a lightness in the body. And this is a body that is suitable for our meditation. For those keeping the five precepts, they also shouldn't eat too much. And they can think about those who are on the eight precepts and they're able to do that. But for those who are still working and are maybe doing quite hard work, then you you also need the energy uh, from the food for that work as well. So this is a matter of the body. To not sleep too much, to not eat or to speak too much. And this all assists in our meditation practice. It also assists with our chanting as well. So when we chant, we should set our hearts on that chanting and not just allow our mind to drift to other places. And so we're really sincere in that chanting, in that listening to the Dhamma. Because when we listen to the Dhamma with mindfulness, then wisdom can arise. Like during the time of the Buddha, there was a very wealthy man who was sitting with his heart set on listening to the Buddha's sermon. And he was told um, then that there was a thief who was breaking into his house. But he said to this person, just just wait, I'm, I'm listening to the Dhamma right now, I'll get on to that later. And so he just allowed this thief to steal his things because he was just um, so profoundly intent on listening to that Dhamma. And in the end, he saw into the Dhamma. So for us, we should try to put down all external things, all concerns, and, and really be here with this practice, and practice a bit more strictly than what we normally do. Because it's difficult to find the time, the opportunity to gather together and practice like this. We also have bodies that are still strong and healthy. But if it occurred that illness arose, or perhaps we were really busy with our work, then we wouldn't have this opportunity. And that's true for the monks and for the lay people as well. We wouldn't be able to practice the Dhamma online like this. So having this chance now, we should set our hearts on using that on developing mindfulness. And so why is it that the teachers talk about mindfulness so much? They talk about the sati, mindfulness, recollection, sampajanya, this clear awareness. And these are very important qualities. So like with keeping the precepts, we also need to have mindfulness there. We need to be mindful that I am keeping the precepts. And so like those who are keeping the eight precepts, Uh, Perhaps in the evening you get hungry and see some food. It can be a desire to eat that, but then this mindfulness comes up reminding us that I'm keeping the eight precepts. And we can also contemplate as well, see how these things are not sure, that all of these sensory experiences are fleeting experiences, and how they don't really give us much value at all. We can contemplate the know, disgusting aspects of food, you know, how it goes into the stomach and then it comes out the other end and then it doesn't have any worth anymore. Now, this can cut off the desire that we have for food. We also need to have mindfulness, looking after the mind as well. And if our mind doesn't have anyone caring for it, And then it's like a child, a child that doesn't have much knowledge or intelligence, and then it can go off and try to swim, and then maybe drown, or run onto a road and get hit by a car. And so there are many children for whom this has happened. And why is that? It's because their mother and father aren't looking after them, or they are trying to, but they're not quick enough. So if we don't look after our minds, then they're just like a child, like this. And so we need to depend upon the mother and father. We need to depend upon this one who knows to take care of our minds. Looking after them, where are they going right now? Are they going left, right? Are they getting involved in liking or disliking? Are they falling into a pit? Are they falling off a cliff? So we need to know that, and if it's going down any wrong ways, then try to re-establish it again. Establish the mind in these four foundations of mindfulness, which are in the body, in the feelings, in the mind and in the Dhamma. So whatever aspect of that we're skilled in, then we should practice that and do that frequently. And so like being mindful over the body, we can take up the breath, for instance, the in-breath, the out-breath. On the in-breath recite buds, the out-breath, and have mindfulness there. Or we can look at the various aspects of the body, the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. Or we can ask what's there inside. Look at the various organs there. Or ask ourselves, well, what happens when the body dies and contemplate that? So these are all ways of cultivating mindfulness, objects of mindfulness. Well, the four elements of the body, as too is an object of mindfulness. So what's this for? What's for the sake of peace, of heart, and so that our minds don't get involved in external things? Because the mind that is sent out, that is the cause for suffering to arise but the mind that's kept in, that is the maga, that is the path. So we carry on walking this way until our mindfulness becomes constant, our samadhi becomes firmly established, beginning with kanaka samadhi, which gives us a little bit of peace, this momentary samadhi. Then there's upajara or neighborhood samadhi, and the peace with that grows until we reach apana or access samadhi. And the mind becomes gathered into one place, one point. And it's possible for us to reach that. And so it's like the pendulum of a grandfather clock. And if that's swinging too much, then that can cause damage. And it's like the average person in this world, that they're not able to have much control over themselves. And then maybe they come to try to keep the five precepts, but they're not really able to keep that well. And so eventually they gain some more control and they can keep these precepts well. So these precepts in Sila are very important in our practice. Because when our minds experience anything in this world, then greed, hatred and delusion uh, appears very quickly. So if other meditation objects aren't working uh, to reduce these defilements, then we can contemplate death and ask ourselves, well, when I'm going to die, then what's the point in getting greedy? What's the point of being averse? Why be deluded? That if in just one minute from now I'm going to die, then why would I be involved with these things? And through that, these defilements can reduce and go away. So we also need to use mindfulness to control our minds too, not just sila. So when we do that, then it's like the pendulum of the clock swings less and less. Uh, The peace that we experience grows. We feel this fullness with joy in our hearts and this inner contentment. Our minds become well-established in samadhi and then we start really seeing the results of our dharma practice and we gain this encouragement and energy in the hearts. Because if our practice is very bland and dry, if our minds are just agitated and thinking all the time without stopping, then the enthusiasm we have to practice will reduce. But when we gain joy, then our inspiration grows as well. We gain this inner peace, we gain this rapture, and we start seeing the results of practicing the Dhamma. And our effort really grows. We become really um, full of effort to be mindful, to develop samadhi, until our mind feels light and bright, and we gain knowledge. So some people they can experience this buoyancy and lightness in their body and mind, but there's a lack of mindfulness there. It's almost like they're asleep. And what that shows is that their mindfulness isn't good at that point. So they need to try to gather that together to become more composed and gathered in. Until the end, then samadhi does become firm. And we can contemplate in a way that gives rise to wisdom. And so we have this mindfulness well established in the body. And uh, contemplating right here, like perhaps we have mindfulness over death and contemplating death. So when we see that, then that is an aspect of samadhi. The mind becomes still and peaceful. But when knowledge arises is when the mind starts to move and to uh, create things and to proliferate. So saying that this is a body, and it has this name, it's from this country, it has this occupation, it's a person like this, it's that proliferation that starts. And then when mindfulness is up to speed with that, and knows that for what it is, that really this is not correct, that there actually isn't a person there, these things aren't real, that this is when knowledge arises clearly for us, that our minds become bright and we gain this understanding in the Dhamma. And then we see Nibbāna appear within our own hearts, or at the very least, um, the suffering that we experience reduces. So we should try to (coughs) recollect uh, the Dhamma like this, and Karen practicing in this way, and then the mind's thinking proliferation should reduce. I just caring practicing like this. So I give my Anumodhana and express my joy that I find in all the people who have helped to make this retreat possible and all of the people who have come together to practice in this retreat. I'm very happy to see all of you here. And so this is the first uh, Dhamma talk uh, for the opening of the retreat. And that should be enough for now.